This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. Abraham received that promise, not because of anything Abraham did or did not do, but because God is faithful and God keeps his promise. The covenant that God made with Abraham is a one-way covenant. It wasn't based on what Abraham did or did not do, but it's based on God's promises. Now, not only did God swear by himself, in addition to his swearing, he gave an oath, a pledge, if you will. Uh, you know, we think about the word of God is true. Let every man be a liar, but let God Almighty be true. In a world where deception and lies are prevalent, it's easy to become jaded. But as Christians, we can take comfort in knowing God's word is the truth. In the Bible, the book of Titus says, In hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began meaning that God's promises are sure and steadfast. Today, Pastor Eddie teaches how it's not in God's nature to lie and that His Word should be the foundation of our lives. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of Hebrews chapter 7 as he begins his message, The King Righteousness. Hebrews chapter 7, we're going to read from verses 1 through 10, verses 1 through 10. The writer of Hebrew writes this, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now, consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithe from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithe from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, Moral men received tithe, but there he received them, of whom it is witness that he lives. Even Levi, who received tithe, paid tithe through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Well, we'll stop there. How many have been with us when we started Hebrews? When we started book we were like more than halfway there. So you're almost uh, done with the book, and we'll cut a cake every time. We're gonna st- we started a new tradition last time. We're going to cut a cake when we finish, you know, should the Lord tarry. Hopefully Christ comes before we finish. Not that I want to, you know, I want to study this, but we hope the Lord comes. Anyhow, um, in our last study, we looked at chapter 6, verses 
13 to 20. Chapter 6, verses 13 to 20. In verses 13 to 18, we looked at the promises and oath of God. It tells us in verses 13 to 14, because God could not swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. He said to Abraham, saying, surely blessings, I will bless you and multiply, I will multiply you. And after Abraham had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Uh, It's one thing to receive a promise, it's another thing to patiently wait for it. Abraham waited 25 years for that promise. Now, Abraham received that promise, not because of anything Abraham did or did not do, but because God is faithful and God keeps his promise. The covenant that God made with Abraham is a one-way covenant. It wasn't based on what Abraham did or did not do, but it's based on God's promises. Now, not only did God swear by himself, in addition to his swearing, he gave an oath, a pledge, if you will. Uh, You know, we think about the word of God is true. Let every man be a liar, but let God Almighty be true. God never lies. It's not in his nature to lie. So he speaks the truth. He gives the word. That in itself should be sufficient. However, he gives a swear. He swear by his name because there's no one greater. There's no one greater to swear. In addition to that, he gives a pledge, an oath. God is faithful and his word is true. Let every man be a liar, but God Almighty be true. And then in verse 18, he says, by uh, these two immutable things, it's irreversible, it's unchanging. These, his promise and oath, which, in which it is impossible for God to lie. Uh, it's not that he can't, he won't, because it's not in his nature. It never will happen. Then we looked at verses 19 to 20 and tells her that Jesus is the anchor of our soul. The, the, uh, the writer of Hebrews gives nautical terms here just to describe uh, how we are connected with the Lord, who is in the, behind the veil, in the holy of holies in heaven, if you will. The earthly temple had a veil, and only the priests would go into that holy of holy once a year. Uh, But Jesus Christ is now in the heavenly holy of holies. And there he says that he is the anchor of our soul and that he's the forerunner. The term forerunner is also a nautical term when you look in the Greek. And it's one of those little boats that actually would work on behalf of the large boats who cannot make it close to shore. They would take the anchor and hook it and make sure that the anchor is secure. And that's what Christ does. He makes sure that we are anchored to his heart in heaven, in the heavenly places. Now, that brings us to chapter 7 in verses 1 through 10. If you recall, if you've been with us in our study, you recall that we, uh, the, the writer of Hebrew began to talk about um, the priesthood of Christ. And, and tried, he wanted to explain how Jesus is not only a high priest, but he's the great high priest. He already established the fact, using scripture, that Christ is better than the prophets. Christ is better than angels. Christ is better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. And he began to talk about how Christ is better than the high priest. Now, keep in mind, the background here, Jewish believers who had found their new faith in Christ were going through through serious persecution that they were looking to the priest in the temple. He's now pointing their, their attention to Jesus Christ, who is the great high priest. Now, he started to write about this, and he, so far, he told us in chapter 4, verse 14, 
about Christ uh, being the great high priest. He said, see then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And then he continues to say that not only is Christ the great high priest, but that Jesus Christ is a priest forever. And that's in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 6. He's quoting the Psalms and he writes, for you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. What it means by the order of Melchizedek, it means it's not the order of Aaron, the Aaronic priesthood, the Levitical priesthood. They had an order. It began with Aaron back in Exodus chapter 28. And then it ended, sadly, uh, well, maybe the Lord allowed it, on, at A.D. 70. Because the priesthood is not, is not about the priest, the man, but Jesus Christ. And so, Jesus is the great high priest. He is a priest forever. He is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And so, he began to give us that picture. He began to prove the fact that Jesus is the great high priest. And he wanted to go on. However, uh, he felt an urgent need to pause on the subject. Because it's an important subject. Back in verse 11 of chapter 5. Let us read it from verses 9 through 11 of chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, just to get some context. This is where he left off about speaking about the priesthood of God, Christ, that is. He says, and having been perfected, he, that is Jesus Christ, became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, verse 10, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say, And hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. And this is where he felt there was a need for him to stop. Because they were dull of hearing. And that's the danger about, you know, being a believer in Christ is being dull of hearing. And that is the first sign of of Christian immaturity. Christian immaturity. And we looked at that. Uh, And so um, we we saw that he had to deal with the issue of Christian maturity because we tend to think, okay, everything's okay. I'm saved. You know, once saved, always saved. Well, get the tape. If we still, we don't have tapes, but you know what I mean. We, we studied that back, and we think that, okay, everything's okay. No, it, it's, you know, the perseverance of the, of the saints. We need to continue on. We need to press on. And so, you know, he had to deal with the issue of spiritual maturity. So he dealt with spiritual immaturity, and that's when he gave us his third warning, the warning of falling away. And that's in chapter 5, verse 11, through chapter 6, verse 8. Then he dealt with spiritual maturity in chapter 6, verses 9 through 12. And so... This is pretty much part two of Jesus Christ, the great high priest. Now, chapter seven, I had to give you that introduction so we can you know where we're coming, where we're going. Uh, chapter seven, the writer will continue to, to explain Jesus' role as the great high priest. And he will do that by showing us the difference between the Aaronic priesthood, that's Aaron and all his descendants after him, a priesthood that had a beginning, Exodus, right, uh, 28, and had to end AD 70. And he's going to compare it with the great high priest that has no beginning and no end, whose priest is forever. Okay? And that's what he's going to do. And, and we're going to see, he's going to do that by, uh, you know, introducing us or kind of giving us a commentary of this mysterious individual, Melchizedek. You know, he's mysterious. He just pops out. I don't know. He just pops. You know what he wants. His name is mentioned on, um, 11 times in the entire Bible. Two times in the Old Testament. Nine times in the New Testament. 
And of those 11 times his name's mentioned, he only appeared once. It's like, poof, here he is. And then he's gone out of nowhere. Not much is known about him. But, you know, I think the, the, the writer of Hebrew gives us a great commentary so we can know who he is. Uh, his name is mentioned again 11 times. The first time his name is mentioned is when he did appear, and that's in Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. And then the Messianic chapter in Psalms 110, chapter 110, verse 4. Uh, he's, that's all they had. That's all the, the, the first reader of Hebrews had about Melchizedek. But, you know, we're blessed to have the book of Hebrews. He's going to mention his name nine times in the entire book of Hebrews, six times in which is in chapter 7 alone. And so, here in this passage, in verses 1 through 10, he's going to give us a little more information about uh, Melchizedek. Now, just to give you uh, an idea where scholars and commentators are as to who this mysterious person is, some believe that he's, you know, an angel. Some believe that he is one of the sons of Noah, Shem. Some believe he's a type of Christ, while others believe that he's a Christophany, okay? Which one is it? We'll find out when we finish studying, right? I'll leave that conclusion to you. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. Let's look at this. In verse 1, it says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem. King of Salem. So, first thing we know right off the bat, that he is a king, the king of Salem. Now, drop down to verse 2. Look at verse 2. It says, at the end of verse 2, it says, King of Salem, meaning king of peace. So, he's the king of Salem, king of peace. Uh, Where is Salem? Well, we have some scriptures that can kind of point to this area. Where is Salem? In Psalm 76, um, it says, it points at it's Jerusalem. 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 Let's look at Psalm 76, verses 1 through 2. Uh, it says, In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. In Salem also is his tabernacle. Where is the temple in Jerusalem? In Jerusalem. Right? Jerusalem. I asked you the question and I answered it for you. And his, dis- and his dwelling place in Zion. Okay? Now, Jerusalem is also, in, in another passage of Psalm, tells us that it's the city of the great king. It's important. We need to know he's a king also. Uh, in Psalms 48, verse 2, it says, Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth in Mount Zion on the side of the north, the city of the great king city of the great king. So we know he's a king of Salem. What is the meaning of his name? His name is Melchizedek. Melach means king. Zadak means righteousness. Drop down to verse 2 again. Let's look at verse 2. In the middle of verse 2 it says, first being translated king of righteousness. Okay? So far, what do we know about Melchizedek, this strange uh, character in the Bible, it says, first, he's the king of peace, the king of Salem, he's the king of righteousness. But there's more. He's not only a king, but he's also a priest. Let's read verse 1 again, a little bit further. It says, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God. He is the king of Jerusalem, king of peace, king of Salem, king of righteousness, And he is the priest of the Most High God. 
And that's mentioned back in Genesis chapter 14, verse 18, which, by the way, for you students who like to take notes of first mentions, this is the first mention of priest in the Bible in Genesis chapter 14, verse 18, when Melchizedek first appears to Abram, okay, Abraham, the first time the word priest is mentioned. Um, It's interesting to know that he was mentioned as a priest well before Moses came in the scene, well before Aaron, before the Aaronic priesthood was even established. He was called a priest. What was a priest? How was it defined back then? We're grateful that we have the word, but that's the first time it's mentioned. Now notice he is a priest of Most High God. Most high God is in caps. There's a reason why it's in caps. Because it's the Hebrew word, speaking of God, El Elyon. Meaning, and it's mentioned 26 times in the Old Testament. And it speaks of none other than God. Who's more high than God? He is God. He's the most high God. El Elyon. And so, we see now that he's a king, he's a priest of the most high God. Now, What does a priest do? A priest is that mediator between God and the people and people and God, right? Now, who is the mediator between man and God? Jesus, very good. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. He says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and the man, the man Christ Jesus. So we have... Uh, This Melchizedek is the king of peace, king of Salem, king of righteousness. He is a priest and a priest of the most high God. Interesting to know, by the way, God never, ever allowed a priest to be a king and a king to be a priest. Well, with the exception, hold on to Melchizedek. Hold on to who's the only one that's a king and priest that we know of? Jesus, right? But God did not allow one man to hold both offices. Never allowed a man to sit on a throne as king and be at the altar as priest. God never allowed it. And so you'll find that you'll find a king and a prophet, as David was a king and a prophet, or a priest and a prophet, as Aaron was both a priest and a prophet. But you'll never find a king and a priest. As a matter of fact, just to prove that God would not allow it, if you remember the story of King Uzziah, King Uzziah, you'll find this story in Second Chronicles chapter 26, verse 18. Read that whole chapter for yourself, but I'm just going to give you a short version of that story. King Uzziah was a very successful king of Israel. Uh, he expanded the military. He, he began as a king very early in age. Anyway, so anyway, here's the story, the background of the story, because it's a big chapter, right? So anyhow, um, you, King Uzziah, you know, he was a, a successful king, and what did he do? He felt that he can get off. He's king. He has authority. Who's going to boss him around, right? He felt, well, yeah, I'm going to go into the temple. You know, I'm giving you my version of the story. I, I'm going to go into the temple, and I want to burn some incense. Priests supposed to do that. He went and he left his throne, went into the temple, wanted, and started to burn the incense. And guess what? The high priest, along with almost 80 other priests, tried to stop him. They tried to stop him. Now we can look at that verse. 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 18. And it says, And they withstood King Uzziah. Very dangerous thing to do, but the priest had to do it. And said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. 
But for the priests, the son of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense, get out of the sanctuary. Ooh, telling the king, yeah, speaking in behalf of God, get out of the sanctuary. But you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. And as soon as they said that to him, I'm the king. He got angry. What happened? The Lord struck him with leprosy. At that very moment, the Lord struck him with leprosy because God did not allow it. God does not allow a man to have both offices, you know, uh, being a king, governing a city, a people, and to be a priest. So I don't know how it plays out today, but that's the reason why. It's not really wise. If God called you to be a pastor, uh, don't run for office. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just doesn't make sense. Who, what, what are you doing? You're working for God, working for the government, you know, and, and, it, and we know how that goes anyway. So God did not allow it. And there's only one who is king and priest, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Anyhow, um, the three wise, well, they're not three. They were the, the, the wise men, it could have been 50, it could have been 1,000, we don't know. Uh, the, the reason why they say three is because of the three gifts. When they went to see the Christ child, they presented Christ with three gifts. The gifts symbolized something, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And the reason why they gave him gold is because they knew that he would be king. They gave him frankincense because they knew that he would be priest. They gave him myrrh because they knew that he was king and priest and he would die. The myrrh turned bomb the body. You see, and these men were wise because they studied the Septuagint. They, that's, that's the Old Testament and translated in Greek. And they were looking for the Messiah. And the gifts that they gave to Jesus represent who he was. They knew the prophecy concerning Jesus. So they were really wise because they kept seeking after Jesus. Back to Hebrews. Back to Hebrews. Let's look at verse 1. We're really moving, right? <laughs> For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And so now the writer, he's pointing out to a time when Melchizedek mysteriously appeared. It's the only time. And just to give you a little background of Genesis chapter 14, we had the four kings of the north, which is the region of Babylon and Persia, who conquered the five kings of the south, which is the area of Sodom and Gomorrah. And what did they do? They took Abraham's nephew. Remember, Abraham and Lot, they kind of you know, separated because the land was too much for them. And Abraham said, hey, if you go to the, you take the left, I'll go to the right. If I, you go to the right, I take the left. Lot saw the beautiful city of Sodom and Gomorrah. So he said, I'm going to Sodom and Gomorrah. So he goes out there and what happened? He's taken captive later on, his family, the people and all their goods, all their possessions. Uncle Abraham heard this. What did he do? At this time, his name is Abram, by the way. He gathered 318 of his trained servants. 318 of his trained servants. What does that tell you? He had a lot of people working for him. That's just his trained servants. 318 of his trained servants, they rescued Lot, the people, and got all the goods back. And after that victory was done, poof, here comes Melchizedek. I'm Thanks for listening to Running the Race Radio with Pastor Eddie. Pastor Eddie is leading us through a study of Hebrews. The series is called Jesus is Better. And you might be getting a clearer picture of the supremacy of Christ. Jesus represented everything in the Old Testament and fulfilled it so wonderfully. 
Maybe as you're listening today, you're just now realizing all the different ways that Jesus proved to be the Messiah, to be the one that had been promised and prophesied about. Through these scriptures, you're coming to a better understanding of the love, the grace, the sacrifice that Jesus was willing to be for you. It's humbling, isn't it? May these teachings continue to bring you closer to the Lord as you see His heart for you. Running the Race Radio is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel of Milford. If you're in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area, look us up right now. Head on over to runningtheraceradio.com. Once more, that's runningtheraceradio.com. When you get there, click back to the homepage for more information about the church, including directions and service times. We'd love to invite you to come and join us on Sunday mornings. And for those of you who live further away, we're delighted to let you know that on the same website, you can find many other messages from Pastor Eddie. That's at runningtheraceradio.com. Well, thanks for joining us today. We've come to the end of our time together. We will be back again next time, right here on Running the Race. See you then.